Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey guys, it's Michael. And before we start today's episode, I wanted to let you know, oh, here's Bryce too. And we're back. And we're back. Well, yeah, we're back for all Sorry, new episodes. Um, this uh, week's episode gets uh, goes a little bit into the true crime. I mean, very much so into the true crime territory. It's a little bit of a new area for us here on the show. There is some graphic murdery stuff in this. Um, it gets a little darker than we usually go at, at points. So just to be warned, if that's not your thing, um, you know, uh, try it out. There's a lot of stuff you like in this too, but we just want to give you a little heads up. It might be a little bit darker, more gruesome than we're usually into. Uh, and uh, let us know how you like the show. Enjoy. Now they're definitely going to listen. <laughs> it's Bigfoot Collectors Club with Bryce and Michael. <laughs> I know a ghost story or two. Let's do this. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club, the show where we talk to amazing guests about their personal paranormal history and share stories of high strangeness. I'm your host, Michael McMillan. With me always is your other host, Bryce Johnson. <laughs> Almost jumped the gun there. <laughs> Bryce Johnson. And, and our super producer, Riley Bray. Uh, hey, guys. Hi, Michael. Hi. I'm excited about today's episode. Me too. Bryce, me too. Uh, uh, you know, we always get excited with our stories of high strangeness. True. This one really caught Bryce's attention. And uh, I can't wait to get into how you found this story. And obviously, we'll get to the high strangeness yeah. later in this episode. But this is an episode of Bigfoot Collectors Club where the high strangeness has taken over almost the entire episode. Um, we have a special guest today connected to that story. That's right. And uh, Bryce, I'm going to hand it over to you to introduce our guest, and let's get into it. Yeah, well, you know, this is uh, uh, a friend of a friend, um, How I Met You, Jay, uh, through my wife and her uh, cohort, Farah, who do makeup on a show that you produce. Is that right? Well, yeah, I've, I've uh, worked with Farah a number of times over the years. Yeah. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you how she... How we hooked up, uh, how she introduced us. Well, first, let's introduce you to our guest. Oh, yeah. oh. oh sorry. I- oh, you should say my name and all that stuff, right? <laughs> With Come us on, today bro. on the show is Jay O'Connell. Uh, did I say that right? You did. <laughs> okay, great. Hi, guys. Nice, nice to meet you all. Nice, nice to meet you, Jay. Yeah. you, Jay. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever met you. Um, but Farah had texted me. And um, I was not familiar th- with this story that we're going to be talking about later in this episode. And uh, she sent me a newspaper article and she said, you know, a friend of mine is researching this story for a documentary uh, uh, for a documentary he wants to produce about it. And I read the story and, you know, it, it immediately caught my attention and I immediately wanted to know everything I could about it. And so I had to reach out to you and I'm so glad I did. And then, uh, and now here you are on the show. Right. And we hear you have some other connections to the paranormal. What is your personal paranormal history, Jay? We ask all our guests. Well, I, 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 I I told Bryce when we talked on the phone the other day, because I am not, I will admit up front, I am, 
I lean on the skeptic spectrum of. So of, do we. You know, <laughs> of uh, Sasquatchery, shall yeah, we say. Right. Um, I'm a. I'm more of a Bigfoot skeptic, and uh, I've been listening to the podcast, and I enjoy it. And I note that you generally have someone their paranormal experience. I thought, well, geez, I, you know, uh, I don't have any. But then I thought, um, mm-hmm. always a happens. number of years ago, and I'll tell you the story. Um, uh, I've worked on and off over the years with the Warner Brothers lot, and a number of years ago, I was. Um, Walking to stage one day, you know, the offices invariably are as far away as physically possible from the stage. So I'm walking to the stage, and um, if you're familiar with the lot, there's an yeah, area— Yeah, I used to work on yeah. the Warner Brothers oh, lot. Okay, right by the, um, uh, by the embassy court and the courthouse building. Yes. You know, the steps where, uh, where they sat yeah, on the, the steps the bat- on, in Argo. And, and Batman, the Batman's, yeah. yeah. It's where Commissioner Gordon's— yeah. Yes. There's a little park there, and uh, it's called Central Park. And oftentimes you'll see the dog trainers out there walking their dogs and, or whatnot. And I'm walking by there, and from far away I see this scroungy-looking dog or something. And so I get closer, and there's a, a teamster in one of his, you know, white vans parked next to it, and he's kind of looking at it. And as I get close to it, and you know, from us apart, five feet away, I look down, and I'm looking at this thing, and it's 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 kind of no hair it's kind of like wrinkly skin kind of a grayish got big kind of hind legs kind of mm. smaller that and it's got like this little scally face it's really ugly and it's about the size of a medium medium large dog it's a fairly good size and i look into this teamster and we're both looking at it and we look at each other and almost at the same time we say chupacabra <laughs> <laughs> so what's the first thing i do i pull out my phone right but I don't take a picture of it. I call, I call operations on the lot, right? So I call up operations, and this guy that I've worked with answers says, Ronnie, you got to get down here to Central Park. There's a freaking chubacabra sitting right here. <laughs> and he goes, what? And I said, you got to get down here. Yeah, right, right. So finally, I've I had a- from sitting up, coffee yeah. spilling. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I have my phone in my hand, and then it finally occurs to me to take a picture. Right. Yeah, so this is a few years ago. So it takes me a while to get to the app, to the camera, and everything. Oh shit, I gotta take a picture. The thing runs off, goes into the bushes. I think he crawled under. If you know where, where uh, Patty's uh, dance studio is, Miss yes. Patty's. I think he crawled under Miss Patty's. Wow. Now I'm sure all your listeners. This will is the Gil- this the the Gilmore Girls. The Gilmore right? Girls, yeah. right? The Miss Patty's. We'll go look for him. Like three or four people come down from operations, right? They say, "Where is it?" I said, "Well, he crawled away." They said, so you got your camera. Did you take a picture? I said, no, I didn't take a picture. <laughs> now, anytime anyone watches an old Gilmore Girls rerun, they'll know that it's in Stars the Hollow, there's a, there's a chupacabra there's a living chupacabra. under <laughs> Patty's dance studio. I mean, so, it, it kind of became legendary. But a, a couple days later, operations called me and said, hey, the, the location manager over on Mentalist, he thinks he saw it in the jungle. Yeah, oh, the, the, yeah, the back lot. Yeah, the, yeah, jungle the jungle in the back lot. I go, really? He goes, yeah, he took a picture of it. I said, well, you got to send me the picture. Wow. So he sends me the picture. And sure enough, it's in the shadows. You can barely see it. You kind of the Warner Brothers like every like, like every Bigfoot picture you ever see, except for you know the Patterson. Gibbon. Yeah. Well, right, what happened right. to your photo? Did you oh your photo? No, you, I, you by didn't the time get I it. get it, he um, he's see? gone. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Let that be a lesson to all our listeners right. out there. This is how it happens. It's right. It's not as easy as one would think to just you know grab a picture of an elusive crypto. So anyway, I googled it and brought up Google Images Chubacabra. And I think I don't want to sort of rain on the uh, paranormal paranormal parade. Impossible. But I think it was a hairless raccoon. 
I was going to say, it sounds like it could have been an animal with mange. That's what a lot of these things are, especially the Texas chupacabra. Chupacabra seems to be Mm -hmm. coyotes that have mange. Um, That would certainly fall under this category. The original myth, however, from Puerto Rico is a very different type Mm -hmm. of, of animal and creature altogether that has some much more alien-like appearance, what we consider a traditional alien. And that seemed to be sort of uh, isolated to that particular time and area, and then stories as it spread. I love the Chupacabra tale. I mean, for not just for... But for various reasons. One, that it's like, you know, relatively contemporary, as to most of these famous uh, cryptos, usually in lore, are date back to hundreds yeah, and hundreds of years. Yeah. The, 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 the tale of the Chupacabra originally started in 1995, and it came out of Puerto Rico. Oh, it's that recent? Really? It's that recent. And it was reported by a, uh, a lady named, I think, Madeline Torrentino. I might have that name I think wrong. that's right. But she had seen this creature um, that that I can describe as um, almost like with an alien head with spikes on its back. It hopped around like a kangaroo and had these like glowing red eyes. And what I think is funny and what I love about this story, and not to to discount the physical evidence of the – about dozen or so chickens that she found ensanguinated, which means completely wow. drained from their blood and, and these I strange love that puncture word, ensanguinated. Yeah, and, and and puncture marks. But she had just come out of the movie Species starring Natasha. <laughs> oh, Hendricks. we know your love of species. <laughs> and, uh, I love that movie. And she goes, So you, oh, here, here I go. Okay, don't do, uh, it. don't do 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 it. Just, so, let me start. So she goes, uh, it's, it basically was that, it's like the creature from species. And, uh, and so everybody always was like, oh my God, is she seeing the, you know, she's having post, post, uh, hallucinogenic effects. And also, this species. was a time in Puerto Rico where d- during their experiencing a sort of UFO flap, strange lights in the sky, yeah. other, ra- uh, other ranchers uh, are, are having cattle mutilation, animal mutilations on their farms. Well, and, that's right. And the yeah. story, the story took on such epic proportions, not just of her tale reporting it to the news, but actual, all these farmers, it became losing livestock, not just cows, but horses, goats. Right. Um, chupacabra literally translated means uh, goat sucker. Goat sucker. Um, so they actually got the military involved. And there was a there was a colonel who established a military uh, militia to go looking for this thing. Anti-chupacabra yes, force. Yes, that's right. And, and, and so they employed a military unit to go hunt these things down in the caves of Puerto Rico. Um, and then the story just takes on all kinds of different like UFO based secret experiences by yeah. the US in these caves. It gets so strange. And then it sort of segues off uh-huh. into uh the southern parts of the United States where people started claiming to see these what they called chupacabras. And that's really where well, that's we're seeing the mangy. Yeah. But even that one is uh, aside from the theories of it being a dog with mange, there's a lot of uh discrepancy points that kind of like don't fit that description i mean these snouts seem to be extra long it does seem to hop like a kangaroo i mean there's that famous footage taken by a highway patrolman officer where he's traveling down this dirt road in texas and he's got the thing right on his cam uh dash cam on his dash cam and he's following this thing that looks and like a coyote with mange to me no it's, that that snout yeah, turn but that but that doesn't sound anything <laughs> like the alien that this woman saw in puerto rico anyway yeah anyway. we've already covered all of this we've in the tom link episode uh, yeah uh, Please look that up. I'll have to look it up because yeah. I, I, yeah. 
fascinated by. I didn't realize it, that the chubacaba was such a recent. Well, what I'm telling you, Jay, is that that wasn't a raccoon with mange, but <laughs> that was an actual chupacabra. Yeah. And, I think it. Uh, yeah. And so, one yeah, of our more think... famously off the rails episodes. You can go listen to that <laughs> That's one. That's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Let it be known. There's a Warner Brothers lot chupacabra. I love that. I think that is so amazing. And now that you've brought that to the world's attention, it's everybody. It's just a very depressing record. <laughs> Jay, uh, gr- you said you're a skeptic, but growing up, did you ever, did you have any imagination for this type of thing for ghosts or Bigfoot or aliens? I'm a, I'm a UFO guy. Are you? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. You're if in the right place. Well, good I mean, company. I'm not an avid that, but you know. Everybody sort of has something that's sort of either fringe or paranormal that they they believe in. They may not even admit it, and they may intellectually not believe in it. But I've always been uh, frightened down to a cellular level mm. of UFOs. Well, yeah, and I you can know, I, I can talk about it and just and the hairs on the back of my neck. So. I Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, have you ever seen one, or have you ever experienced something? You got to like go that? get regressed. Yeah. You know, I, that I I'm not saying that there's missing time in my childhood, but, but there was missing time. <laughs> You're not saying there's time. not. You're in the right place. Right. But no, it's it's the kind of thing that I, you know, and I've never been uh I've always been aware of Bigfoot as much as just anybody would. I've never right. really, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but now that um I get a little deeper into it just because I'm researching this story and so part of it is researching uh, the Bigfoot stuff and, and, I heard, and the relations with UFOs and the portals and all that oh stuff. Oh, yeah. Now it's, you're it's, singing Bryce Johnson. I'm singing Bryce's uh, tune. Yeah. Do no, I, I heard, believe it? No, but do I completely discount it? Not necessarily. Well, when I go. heard you mention the uh, the famed Patterson-Gimlin footage right. of 1967, what do you make of that? It's hard to, it's hard to completely discount. Mm-hmm. And I know... Um, I think there was a, a, a period someone did come out and debunk it, and someone claimed that they, but that guy, well, there was they three, debunked the debunkers, right? Yeah, there was three people who have claimed to have been right. the person in the suit, and so that immediately tells you right away that they can't all be telling. Well, you Jay, exactly. you work as a producer in Hollywood. Right. You know, you have you can you kind of can wrap your mind around budgets and costumes. You and this. yeah, the money it would take to fake that. Would be there. We go. You know, those two guys. Those two guys didn't have the wherewithal to fake it. Yes, yeah. that's so, the answer I was looking for. I, yeah. mm-hmm. You know. Well, you know, it's funny enough. We we had just filmed something uh, in and amongst ourselves here at the BCC Clubhouse, sort of a secret project, and mm-hmm. and not to give too much away, but we're we had, hoaxing. We're hoaxing. We're into <laughs> hoaxing videos now. We, we, we had our producer Riley, uh-huh. and what what I would consider one of the probably more top-level Bigfoot suits that uh, a special effects person can get. It was pretty real deal, yeah. It was the real deal thing. And Riley got in that suit, and immediately I start to, to zone in on, like, the legs and how they're more of a boot-cut straight pants. You can't see muscle tone. This is a 2019 suit. Yeah, this we're talking 2020. This is almost 60 years after the date that that and was taken. And the Patterson-Gimlin, I mean, those are some massive legs. Yeah. Not only that, you look at the back on that creature, and, and all you have to do is compare compare that side by side to a silverback gorilla right. the back the picture of a back of a silverback and you see that that hairline that is spread in that in that in that spinal Bryce, we column. all know where you're looking on 
Yeah, let us let us not forget. Yeah, we know where you're looking. And that butt, those oh, the pendulous breasts. Let me not even get into that. But I guess what I was saying it was I was immediately making Uh, comparisons as to and Riley isn't a short guy. He's about six foot five. You know, seven. And yes, yes, six Six foot seven. seven. And even and he's nearly covered in hair already. Yeah, 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 it's true. But even him in that suit, he looked. He didn't look tall and ominous. He was like, I mean, you did, but I was immediately making comparisons to that famed footage. And and it was, to me, still, it was a night and day comparison. It was a guy in a suit. It was a guy in a suit, you know, and I could easily defy that. And that one piece of footage has set me on a... on a quest, I yeah. suppose, because I believe, I really believed my eyes and my senses that that was telling me that there something was captured on film that day that couldn't be explained, that so many other people have claimed to have seen, that physical proof has identified right. through castaway tracks and DNA evidence and... And uh, yeah, so I th- I still think that no, that's I, a, I, I, yeah, a stellar I, I, piece of footage. I can easily be talked into going, you know, as right now I'm ready to go. Okay, I 100 percent great. There great. we go. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, then the, the, the skeptics will talk about what well, we've never really, you know, we don't have one. It's true. And I I do science wants a body. I do adhere to the theory, and part of it is you know I'm uh, doing a little bit of crime research and being a kind of a fan of true crime stuff mm-hmm. like that. Anyone that knows that the most unreliable thing, the most unreliable evidence you can have is eyewitness evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, on, on the scale of what's the most reliable, you know, yeah. eyewitness accounts are always what the first thing you can discount. It's very true. Now, the Gimlin film, that's a little, you know, that's hard to discount. Yeah. I mean, even today, if you were going to fake it, you'd have to CGI it. Yeah. Yeah. And then... They know forensically how to tell if something's CGI or not, correct? Correct. And so many videos up on YouTube that are like, I caught a Wendigo on... It's so clearly CGI'd or fake. You know, there's so much stuff out there that like... You could argue that the stuff that people are putting out today on YouTube as hoaxes look so much worse and are instantly <laughs> recognizable as as bunk uh, compared to the right. Patterson Gimlin film, which I you know I think is one of and and a lot of the other um, like you know the old Loch Ness photos almost. Every one of those has been debunked now as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. and yet that the Patterson Gimlin still seems to stubbornly hang in there for I think reasons that you pointed out, Bryce. Uh, Jay, you said you had before we get into this, you had another Bigfoot story involving uh, a was there an Ali Sheedy Bigfoot oh. sighting? Oh yes, Ali <laughs> Sheedy. That's I, I, a name I, I haven't wonder, heard in a while. I wonder if she's a listener. Oh, <laughs> I, she, I she can guarantee be. you she is not. I, I emailed her. <laughs> Here's what, in my. Internet research, yeah. you know, you just I just was Googling Bigfoot and Sierra National Forest, which is where this story we'll talk about takes place. Right. Between Yosemite and Sequoia, that whole area. And in 1985, I find on the internet, Ali Sheedy spotted, uh, had a Bigfoot sighting near Shaver Lake, which is- Really? Yeah. What? Shaver yeah. Lake, that's where you know Shaver Lake? Has, yeah, yeah, that's like oh, pretty you know much Lake. where I grew up. Yeah. Because I used to go there as a kid, we used to go skiing at China Peak. Sure, you know, yeah, me too. China Peak. Yeah, right. yeah. So I, you know, but, and there's been a few Bigfoot sightings in, in Shaver. I've Ali heard. Sheedy is not the only one. Wow. But I emailed her and asked her if she would, told her what I was doing. And, you know, I, I said, if, look, if I'm going to write about- um, Bigfoot uh, and, and Teresa Beer and Skip Welch in 1987, literally as the crow flies 30 miles away, I'm going to have to mention that Ali Sheedy saw Bigfoot. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> 
And That's so what did she level say? Of did credibility. She, she's not, oh, she, well, she didn't answer my email. Go oh. figure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if it's a correct email address. Uh, well, now, now we know our chances of getting Ali Shitty on this show to tell that story right. are probably pretty minimal. They can't but, delete uh, fast enough. <laughs> big, oh, did you spell oh, delete, 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 delete? But we got to go to Shaver Lake and do yeah, an episode. Yeah, I, think there's a, I think there is a... Um, a mural up there. That there is. Yeah, is they there... put it up a few years back. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've had. Great... We have it on our Instagram. Oh, yeah, it's on our Instagram. Because yeah. Fresno, Fresno area is literally. I, I have come to learn is a hotbed of Bigfoot activity. Yeah, yeah there were sightings area. as far down as the Kings River that near Avocado Lake. I guess these ranchers saw three Bigfoot in the orchard. I think you know, I mm-hmm. know they were stealing oranges or something. But yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of uh, Bigfoot activity worldwide in, in over. I think I, we live in a yeah. state that has more sightings per capita than any other place in the world. Right. I mean, there, it, it there seems, seems to, to be... be a connection too between orchards and, and Sasquatch. Yeah, uh, that's right. When I was in, I believe it, the town is Felton. Is it Calif- Felton, California? There's a little Bigfoot uh, research center up there. And years ago, I was on a road trip, stopped in and spoke to the curator of the museum. And he had uh, night vision footage of what they believed had been a juvenile um, mm. Sasquatch that they had been catching uh, stealing apples from an orchard that was uh, just a few miles up the road. Mm. Um, they notoriously and, are fond of apples. Yeah, there's yeah. a story that I came across that I think maybe we'll do at some point, whether on the Patreon or here, about the apple devils uh, that was in, I believe, West Virginia in the 1960. It was around that area. John Keel studied it, and it was about um, something, a, a group of possible hairy creatures had been coming into an orchard and stealing, taking bites out and leaving the leaving the apples on the ground but uh, i always find that sort of adorable that the <laughs> the bigfoot likes uh likes his orchards yeah yeah all right well um i thought i think we should get into the story sooner rather than later yeah uh since we're all chomping at the bit right. before that we've got to play our game bullshit yeah. oh. or believe it let's do it Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, and we're back with Jay O'Connell, producer and true crime researcher and now default Bigfoot researcher. (laughs) We're about to get into the story of high strangeness of the week, but first we must ask this skeptic whether he finds these topics bullshit or whether he believes them. With a game we like to call Bullshit or Believe It. Are you ready, Jay? So I only have two choices. Two choices. Bullshit or, or believe, believe it. it. Yep. If but, it's, but I can... If it's I somewhere can, in between, use your acting I, skills I, I, yeah, to well, convey... Yeah. And we can always circle back and talk about anything you want. Okay. All right, on if your mark. If you're on the fence, just go with Believe It. <laughs> on your mark. <laughs> That's what I do. Get set. Ghosts. Bullshit. UFOs. Believe it. Bigfoot. Believe it. All right, angels. <laughs> Bullshit. Gnomes. Bullshit. Fairies. <laughs> Bullshit. Unicorns. Bullshit. Loch Ness Monster. Bullshit. Alien Greys. Believe it. 
parallel universes. Mm. Mm. Bullshit. Shapeshifters. Bullshit. Mermaids. Bullshit. <laughs> Damn, Francis. But I, but I want to believe. Oh. I really do. Oh. Heaven. Bullshit. Hell. Bullshit. Dragons. Bullshit. Yeti. B- believe it. Elves. Well, I'm Irish. Uh, bullshit. <laughs> I love that. You just betrayed your people. Your, your heritage. ESP. Believe it. Chupacabra. Seen it, so believe it. Yeah, Demons. Bullshit. Atlantis. Bullshit. Life on other planets. Believe it. World peace. Believe it. Peace in the multiverse. Believe it. All oh, right. That's great. Uh, I was so, thinking, Michael, you might have to change that to Warner Brothers Chupacabra. <laughs> <laughs> the WB Chupacabra. From here on it's, out, it will always be. Because I now know. everybody will believe it. <laughs> it's just the Warner Brothers frog. Oh, my God. I love that game. It's so it's such a fascinating insight into uh, into people's belief system. I, I, often... yeah, I, think, I think the religious listeners will kind of get a clue as to where I f- land on that. Oh, one. yeah, right. for sure. Oh, you're yeah. not the only one. And I often think that if this game were played in Europe, that the, the gnomes and the fairies would... would, would be, oh, it hit a lot hard, it higher. It hit a lot yeah. higher. Yeah, yeah. That's anyway. true. Well, do any of your guests ever go with Believe on Gnomes and Fairies? We have you're looking at him, yeah. mister. Oh, right. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I think you're a 15 for 15 on this one. <laughs> yeah. um, and we've definitely had, we definitely have some very open-minded guests. Most of them are actors. Um, <laughs> there you go. Uh, exactly. So it sounds like you're coming around on Bigfoot, and I'm really excited. I have not heard this story. Well, because uh, I have a Bigfoot yeah, t- t-shirt, yeah, go, which obviously you. the listeners can't see. But no, we'll, we'll, we'll get a picture. We'll of that. get a photo of that, and it'll be up it on Bigfoot, the Instagram. But it's Bigfoot in Sequoia. There you go. Oh, yeah, that's which the is, which is my stuff. hometown. I love it. Okay, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for this week's story of high strangeness. Awesome. All right, we're back, and it's time for High Strangeness. And this is a Bigfoot Collectors Club, I believe, first, where our guest today is uniquely connected to this story. Yeah. So, uh, Bryce, what do you have for us today? Thank or you, Michael. should Mike. I say Bryce and Jay? Mm, yes, yes, absolutely. And as Michael said, we were kind of taking a... Uh, a left turn here from our normal procedures, and 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 I think we won't be remiss after we discuss this uh, story that involves a little bit of true crime as well as it does um, high strangeness. Now, I want to preface this story by stating emphatically that I am no way abdicating the innocence of those accused in this story of high strangeness. I am merely trying to elucidate the listener with some of the more stranger details of this case that I believe are being heard right here for the very first time. Now, that being said, is something evil and unknown lurking in the deep woods of our national parks? Who, or better yet, what, is behind the plethora of mysterious disappearances? One person may have an answer as to what might have caused literally thousands of people to vanish without a trace while visiting the national forest in the United States and Canada. The answer he alludes to is very unsettling and shocking to say the least. A man by the name of David Politis is a retired police officer who has written a series of books called Missing 411. In those, he gives a comprehensive picture of a number of unusual cases of missing persons which baffle relatives and authorities alike. Many people who read them call them the most disturbing books they have ever read. 
Politis has been investigating the mystery of people who vanished for many years and has created a vast database on the subject. The results of his research are frightening. It all started many years ago while he was conducting research in a national park and received a knock at the door from two off-duty national park rangers who stated they had information they wanted him to hear. They explained that they had worked at several parks during their career and had participated in many search and rescues of lost visitors. They explained that they believed there was an inordinate amount of missing people and the Park Service was not conducting follow-up investigations, wasn't tracking missing people, and didn't appear to understand the issues behind the disappearances. This event started his project, Missing 411. And while Politis does not present his theory as to what is behind the sinister vanishings, there has been no lack of speculations that involve everything from Bigfoot, aliens, and supernatural forces responsible for the disappearances. The truth is that we don't know what is behind the vanishings, says Politis, yet we can easily understand that something elusive and predatory is lurking in our forests and national parks. People are vanishing without a trace and something or someone is responsible for their disappearances. Sasquatch lore is rife with tales of abductions. Native American tribes from one end of the North American continent to the other have told tales for centuries of how these hair-covered giants, if given the chance, would snatch up women and or children. Prospector Albert Osman claims to have been snatched up while dozing in his sleeping bag in the wilds of British Columbia in 1924 by a male Sasquatch and kept as a captive for six days by a family of these creatures before managing to escape. For more on that, please listen to BCC Episode 6, The Wizard of Canterbury. And while maybe not as well known as Osman's story, is the account of a Nootka Indian named Muchalat Harry, who claimed to have been grabbed by a large male Sasquatch and carried off to be presented to a large number of these animals in 1928. But, but, but Bryce, you say, these alleged incidences took place a very long time ago. Nothing like that happens today, right? I don't know. You tell me. On June 1st, 1987, Fresno native Teresa Ann Beer, then 16 years old, traveled into the rugged Sierra Nevada mountains of California with then 43-year-old Russell Welch. Welch fancied himself a Bigfoot expert and was taking the teen out on a hunt for the legendary beast in the vicinity of Shut Eye Peak. Welch claimed to have had contact with Sasquatches in the past and wanted to share his experiences with the teenage Beer. What happened after the pair arrived is not known. All that is known is that Russell Welch returned to Fresno without Teresa Ann Beer. Welch was interrogated by sheriff's deputies once it became clear Beer was missing. He claimed that they had gone, that they had gone out on a hike in the hopes of making contact with a Sasquatch. He went on to say that somehow he became separated from Beer and that during this time she was abducted by one of the creatures. To say authorities doubted his story would be an understatement. A search of the area where the two had camped was immediately ordered but failed to turn up anything. Despite the continued efforts of dedicated searchers, no sign of Teresa Ann Beer was found, not a single trace of evidence. Russell Welch was later charged with child stealing and was scheduled to stand trial. However, Officials abruptly dropped the charges and freed him just three days before the court proceedings were to begin. Officials realized they had no physical evidence upon which to build a case and were afraid they were destined to lose a jury trial. If that were to happen, 
Russell Welch would go free and not be subject to future prosecution. Even if Beer's remains were later located, due to laws against double jeopardy, the district attorney decided it would be best to let Welch walk at the time and hope physical evidence would be found sometime in the future. I am furious. (laughs) (laughs) With which a stronger case would be built. No such evidence would come. However... Absolutely no sign of Teresa Ann Beer has been found in the nearly 25 years that have passed since the incident. She has simply vanished. Recently, I caught up with a buddy of mine, Jay O'Connell, who is working on a documentary about the alleged kidnapping and murder of Teresa Ann Beer by the late Russell Skip Welch. So, Jay, how did you get involved with this case, and what can you tell us about it? You know, how I came to this was... Actually, through through Bigfoot, mm-hmm. and sort of the central irony of this story is, and, and now that I've really gotten to, I won't say got to know Teresa, but uh, have sort of been researching her. The central irony of this story is the thing that keeps her memory alive, because we would we wouldn't be talking about her today. Uh, her story would be completely um, gone from from cultural memory. The thing that keeps her alive, her memory alive, is the thing that was ostensibly blamed for her disappearance, Mm -hmm. that being Bigfoot. So in an ironic sort of twist, it's Bigfoot that keeps her memory alive. But I came to it simply, I was actually listening to another Bigfoot podcast. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Laura Krantz's uh, Wild Thing. Mm, I've heard of it, yeah. Yeah, and it's more of a more of a mainstream sort of almost scientific look at it. She was actually, she actually found out when she We're started. We're scientists. What yeah. are you <laughs> Well, implying? Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me say, I think she, she comes to it from a skeptical point of view, but I sure. think she makes the turn, much like I have now. Um, but her, her uncle or great uncle was Grover Krantz. Oh my God. Yeah, and she didn't know that until she started researching this, finds Whoa. out. Who was Grover Krantz? Why does that name ring a bell? Grover Krantz was a, uh, well, he was a college professor. Right, I, an anthropology I, professor. Anthropology professor. And, you know, funny enough that you mentioned that cast that was given to me by Cliff Berrickman is part of what's known as the Crippled Foot Cast, which was taken out of Washington State in the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Now, when Grover came upon this trackway, the left foot of this trackway had broken foot anatomy. Now, that's something I can relate to. But anyway, he found it so... Oh, my God. <laughs> well, he found it so... I just love your delivery of it. And thank you. Now, that's something I <laughs> Do you suffer from plantar fasciitis? No, but I had, I did shatter my heel last <laughs> okay. year. Uh, but anyway, he found that that trackway was so obtruse in its nature and being so accurately biomechanically for the broken foot as it walked oh, through right. that castway that he would said it would be next to impossible to have hoaxed a trackway like that. Right. And that was the track way that actually got Grover Krantz interested and started in his bio and his right. Bigfoot and endeavors. And our cast comes from that track way? That's exactly yeah. right. Oh. That is the right foot, not the, cri- the right. not the actual broken foot, but yeah. it's it's from the illustrious uh, crippled foot track way. Which foot right. did you break? Uh, I broke my right uh, foot. Oh, you did? Yeah. But, but anyway. That's, so I started just doing a little bit of research yeah. just out of curiosity. Just I I must confess, I didn't have a show this year, so I had a lot of free time. <laughs> Been there. <laughs> right. And um, Still there. <laughs> Still there. Started Googling Bigfoot and the area that I come from, which is near Sequoia National Park mm-hmm. in more central California, and came across this story. And I came across a story about Shut Eye Peak. 
Wow. It was written by this park ranger, and it deals with some later disappearances, a couple hikers in the early 2000s, older gentlemen, a couple, three years apart, disappeared without a trace. Yeah. Experienced hikers in clear weather, and they never found anything. And then also the the, the son of a park ranger who worked in the, the lookout fire lookout tower on top of Shut Eye Peak. And I fell in love with that name, Shut Eye Peak. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a great name. So I... I started doing a little research in that and then there's the fourth case this disappearance of Teresa Beer in 1987 and I said wow this is going to be a great story if I do a thing called the mysteries of Shut Eye Peak so as you you read the great intro of this this story it kind of seems like a simple story of you know most of the uh articles you'll find on the internet talk about how he took this 16-year-old girl up to the, the mountains and everybody says, well, why would the parents allow him? And they say, well, the parents gave permission to all this. Right. And But what you don't find out in most of the things is what kind of guy Skip Welch was, mm-hmm. what kind, you know, what, what Teresa's family life was like. Yeah. And as I dug more and more into it, I, I quite honestly didn't see it so much of a as a Bigfoot story as I did as a crime story. And changed the title of my series or my uh, documentary or my newspaper anthology from Mysteries of Shut Eye Peak to Meth, Murder, and Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. And so I started approaching it as a a murder story. Well, because the thing, the big red flag going off for me on this is this guy was how old at the time? 42, 43 by the time he stood trial. What 42-year-old man hangs out with a 16-year-old girl that's not his daughter. Well, (laughs) let me tell you this. That's not the first 16-year-old girl he hung out with, and not the first one he took to those mountains. And that's where I am, like, that's, that, 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 this is, that's a huge problem. It is. So let me tell you the story now of what I've sort of uncovered through my first foray into crime journalism. So to tell this story, I think you need to look at these two families, the Welch family and the Beers family. And um, Teresa Beers, at the time, this, was, this all took place in Fresno in 87. And Teresa had been in and out of foster care. Um, she'd lived for several years with a, with a foster family in Madera, which is not too far from Fresno, Riley knows. And uh, My grandma lives there. Is she? Yeah. <laughs> and her parents were both out of the state by this time. I think her dad was in uh, Albuquerque, and I don't know where her mom was, living with a foster care. And then uh, her dad lobbied to get, get custody back again. And then so he got her back uh, with him, but then he sort of became uninterested in taking care of her. She ended up living with a great with her great grandmother for a while. Oh, poor thing. Mm-hmm. And her grandmother was just great grandmother was too old to take care of her. Then she so she finally ends up living uh, with her uncle. And her uncle's name was John Richmond. <clears throat> and he was known to uh, law enforcement as Blind Johnny. And Blind Johnny was a known uh, drug dealer and fence. And so she was living with him and he had a couple other daughters and um I don't know. I, I, I sent uh, Bryce a couple of the police reports. You but did. There are certain sections that are redacted in those police reports. I saw that. I was wondering what that was. Um, well, because she's a minor, there are certain things they can't release. I see. Uh, and I've actually kind of looked at the, the amount of space that's redacted. She was being abused or sexually molested by um, 
by Blind Johnny, by mm. her uncle. And that's the stuff that they would keep. Uh, yeah, they would because keep Because she's a minor, they can't report yeah. that. They can't report who the victim is, so they can't release that information. Right. right. So I was, even, makes, I was even a little surprised Fresno released the uh, the police reports to me. Because <sighs> I've been fighting with Madera County sheriffs to release their reports as well, and they won't because of the because right. she was, A, she was a minor, and B, the case is technically still, still open. open. Oh, wow. this poor thing. But anyway, so she... So sad. And she had told some of her friends at school that she was being molested. Um, so she was not in, in a good family situation. Um, so that's the Beer family. Um, the Welch family, uh, Skip was a house painter. Um, and I, th- I actually just got his death certificate a while back. Oh, wow. And I found out from that he only went through 11th grade. And so he, he dropped out of high school, was a, was a house painter. And he had gotten into mining um, uh, as a teenager, young, young man. And so he had mining claims up in the Sierras. And he was well known for really being sort of a mountain man, sort of thought of himself as a survivalist type, had several mining claims up there and spent a lot of time up in the mountains. Uh, and he was – his wife died in 1985. And I don't know what she died of, but uh, I've seen comments by Chandra – uh, the daughter of Skip and his wife, mm-hmm. that she had made a mention of she had uh, performed CPA, CPR on her mom a couple times when she OD'd on pills. Wow. So I think the mom was, was an addict, and she died uh, in 1985. This is Skip's wife. Skip's wife. So, so Skip was a, a widower, and he was well known as being a meth addict. Wow. I mean, he was, uh, had been for a, a while. Um, so... This whole story sort of opens, if you want to look at the timeline, that Monday morning, June 1st, 1987, um, when Blind Johnny wakes up, Skip's there at his house Mm -hmm. in the morning. So you figure, what's he doing at the house at 7 in the morning? He was probably cranking all night. Yeah. And we think that that Blind Johnny was one of his connections. I think he was buying drugs from, from Blind Johnny. And he offers to take Teresa to school. Okay. So, um, but he never takes her to school. So Blind Johnny gets a call about 10, in the, 10 that morning from the school. The school says, hey, uh, Teresa never showed up at school. And what does Blind Johnny tell the school? Oh, she's homesick. Mm, right. Be- because he didn't, want, <laughs> he didn't want to deal with it. He goes, oh, I'll figure out where she is. Right. He didn't seem too worried at that point in time. And so he starts asking around, I guess, and finds out, now, they both, both Blind Johnny and Skip claimed that they didn't really know each other that well, that they had just met like a week before, which uh, I think is not necessarily the case. Mm. And if you're a sketchy drug dealer, you're trying to keep all this you're stuff. trying on, to keep, yeah, on the down I just low. I have to say, it's just uh, the lack of judgment that's rampant throughout this tale already. Oh, it's just it gets, depressing. Yeah. yeah. So um, he calls around. So he literally, by, I think, Nine o'clock that night, he calls the Fresno police and reports her missing because he can't find her. Uh, and then that's, that starts the investigation. And it's not for, I think, 10 days later that they finally find Skip Welch and arrest him. So um, a good deal of time has passed. So Teresa's been missing for 10 days at this point. Yeah. Wow. Before, well, before he gets before, back and they, they, okay. they arrest him. So what he really do, what he does is um, we know from the detective uh, 
backtracking several days later, now finding out what what, ha- what happened, she admitted to people that, yeah, I'm going to the mountains. Uh, she even, Skip even went by his daughter's house, and yeah. and then he goes by his son's house, and they even told detectives later, she goes, yeah, he, she was with him. She was all excited to go up and hunt Bigfoot up in the mountains. Instead of go to school that Instead day. Instead of go to school, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so they take off, they go up to the mountains. Um, what happens up there, we don't really know. Because if we were to based on what Skip Welch later tells the detective. Which I cannot wait to get you, into. Yes, it's, it's yeah. But um, he, uh, he has quite a story to tell, but it's much, much later. Um, so what does he tell well, immediately? Well, what does he immediately tell detectives when let, they're, let's get when into he's been it. arrested? Yeah. Or... Now, Jay, I know you provided me with a couple of police reports, right. and I hope that it's okay that I, that I read directly from these because I, I think so yeah. I, this has never come to light and and not only is it is it disturbing uh, just around the context of of somebody going missing and never being found again what i what i defined sort of interesting isn't the right word but disturbingly interesting is this guy's account of mm-hmm. what played out and when you start to parcel it along with a lot of the other you know, missing 411 cases that I've been listening to all weekend, which are in and of themselves so creepy and so disturbing that can, like, like, like I said earlier, I mean, it just leaves you baffled as to who mm-hmm. or what is causing this. Anyway, so I'm going to read directly from some of these. Men, men are, men are causing it. Yeah, bad. Meth, well, yeah. meth and, addicted and, you know, men. You may, you may very well be right, Michael, but uh, just the numbers <laughs> alone don't... Uh, the numbers alone of the people gone vanishing, missing, and the details surrounding those cases leave leave that out as an option. Uh, I'm not saying that that's the case for this. Now, when Officer, um, I don't know if it's okay if I say his name, the detective on the case, Doug um, Stokes. Doug Stokes. Let's, let's, yeah, let's, this is right from the police report. He's a nice guy, by the way. Yeah. So he first, he's, uh, Terry Welch starts to tell him his story, and then uh, as he reports, I told him this is from. Uh, Uh, Detective Stokes, I told him that I wanted to talk to him in regards to the missing person, Teresa Beer. He immediately told me that he knew what I was talking about, but there had been a big misunderstanding. He then told me that he liked to refer to her as Sam because she reminded him of a runaway girl that he had viewed in a movie at one time. And so her nickname was Sam, and he would refer to her as that. I noted that throughout my discussion with him that he did, in fact, refer to her as Sam. Now, prior to my asking any questions regarding the whereabouts of the missing person, I made reference to the fact that several people had told me that he, Welch, was interested in the sightings of Bigfoot. For the next five to seven minutes, the suspect Welch spoke exclusively of his sightings of Bigfoot and his experiences in the backcountry and the high Sierras. He talked on and on regarding the facts that he had seen literally hundreds of sightings of Bigfoot and that there was a community of Saskatchewans, as he referred to them. Well, time out. <laughs> yeah. Is he confusing them with Canadians? Uh, yeah. I know. <laughs> right, right. Living in the high Sierras, numbering several hundreds to thousands. He further told me that the reason that people had not seen this individual more was because he was actually of a superior intelligence. Okay. And that he had a whole community of Bigfoots that lived under the ground in caves and in tunneled out communities. Right. Did, did the detective mean Sasquatchians? Yes, he Sasquatch, must have yeah. meant Sasquatch. Either that's... Either- or did... 
you know, skip call them Saskatchewan. You'll have to. I'll have to leave that up to the listener. Or, I, did, or did Bryce mispronounce it? Yeah, no. In the report, it's Saskatchewan. <laughs> All of these are possible. I, right, exactly. Any one of those could be. But you know what's interesting is, is as soon as I heard underground in caves and in tunneled out communities. Richard Shaver popped up and 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 his stories of long tunneled out communities of of these strange beings. Anyway, I'll go on. Well, and Skip could have had access to stuff that Richard Shaver talked about, correct? Where's Richard yeah, Shaver in all this absolutely. timeline? Absolutely. If Let's, he was into this stuff like we are, he may have already heard it, yeah, these absolutely. stories. Yeah, absolutely. It's books. very possible. Absolutely. Um Anyway, uh, okay, here, uh, where are we? Saskatchewan. Yes, yes. I noted that during my discussion with Welch, he appeared very serious in his talking about this, and that he did not take the subject lightly. He referred to several photographs that he had. He further stated that he had established a strong relationship with this community of Big Feet that lived in the Sierras, and that he had not violated them, and that therefore they made themselves readily available to him, seeing them and that he had communicated with them. I asked him if they spoke English, and he stated they spoke another language, and that he only knew a few of their words, but they seemed to understand him with no difficulty. He further stated that these big feet were able to somehow read his mind at times. Now, after our discussion of big feet and the communities <laughs> that exist in the Sierras extensively, I then asked him if he could tell me about Teresa Beer. Now, this is where Terry starts to go on. And, Skip, you mean, you say. Uh, uh, yes, yes. Uh, this is where Skip goes on to tell his sort of first lie in this questioning. Um, he talks about how he just dropped her off at school, and that was it. But he mentions something interesting. He says he stated that he dropped her off at the school and that she was met by a blonde-haired girl. And that Sam had told him that this was a friend of hers. and that Sam she, being Teresa, we Sam have to remind Teresa, our listeners. We'll have to remind yourself of that, yes. And that Sam had told him that this was a friend of hers and that she was sure that this girl would help her hide out. Now, keep this blonde girl in mind as she's going to appear later oh, back yes. in this story. Oh, yes, she will play a very key role. And then this is why I'm glad I'm going over this. Is so many people love to leave out the details that, that I would say don't make sense or startle or say too weird to be reported. Now, he goes on to say more about uh he gets caught in a lie right the detective says listen i know your car was up there uh so mm-hmm. i don't, and, he, and and then to which skip says he was going to tell him the complete truth now once in the Sierra, high sierras he states that he had some car trouble and that if he just asks a ranger he can help verify a story that he was alone and that this fire crew helped him jump start his car blah 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 To which Detective Stokes says, I told Welch that I did not believe his story and explained that I had talked to both of his children regarding their contact with the missing person, Sam. I explained that both of his children were very helpful and that they explained that Sam did not appear to be hurt, but that she was very excited and talked continually about wanting to go to the High Sierras and possibly of seeing Bigfoot. And Terry says he was sorry that he lied to me. And that he would tell him the complete truth now. This is the second time he's going to say. You keep calling him Terry. Uh, oh, oh, right. Sorry. He's, uh, he was sorry that he had lied to me and he was going to tell the complete truth now. This is the second time right. where he's like, I'm going to tell you the truth. He then goes on to describe some car trouble that he was having with his car. He then continued by stating that once in the backcountry that he did in fact see Bigfoot. And in fact, the girl Sam made several sightings herself. He then became very serious and stated that he knew that they had gotten into something they shouldn't have gotten into. 
I asked him to explain. He then told me that prior to going to the mountains that he had purchased a camera for Sam. He stated that it was a small Instamatic Kodak. He stated that she was taking several pictures. I asked him if he was trying to tell me that this upset Bigfoot in some way. He stated that he did not believe... I just, this detective who is just trying to get to her whereabouts, yeah. patiently sitting through this guy's yeah. Yeah. endless yeah. Bigfoot story. Yeah. yeah, he'll get there. He gets to a point of like... And just, can I tell you about the, the having sat and talked to the detective for two hours yeah. a, a couple months ago? He's a very big sort of, you know, uh, hulking man, but this is a very kind, gentle kind of guy. He's a, he comes to his, he's a, a Mormon, so I went to his house, and he's got, you know, the picture of him and all his kids, like, you know, six kids, and just a real straight-laced, just nice family. And he would tell me that when Skip would start going off on all this Bigfoot stuff, that he'd sort of just get this, almost this look in his eyes. Mm-hmm. And that he always wanted to talk to him. He kept wanting to keep talking and talking and talking. Yeah. I and, mean, he and sa- Detective Stokes would say, okay, and he'd just sit and listen to him. Yeah. And this he says, in the, he says yeah. in the police report, too, that, that he shows no signs of, like, believe that he was putting him on. Right. Or that he was joking about what he was saying about these Bigfoot. He truly believed Dead in what serious. he was saying. Dead serious. Um, so basically, I asked him if he was trying to tell me that this had upset Bigfoot taking pictures in some ways. He stated he did not believe so because he had taken several pictures himself and that they knew he would never divulge their whereabouts or their actual existence. He tried to convince me that he had a special relationship with the Bigfoot people and that they were not out to physically hurt him or the girl. He then made several statements about seeing certain things that he had never seen before. And he referred to certain communities being much larger and more extensive than he had ever seen before that he and the girl had come upon. He continued by stating that this had impressed Sam very much and that she had talked continually about not wanting to leave from the back country and that she wanted to stay and make more sightings and possibly spend the whole summer in the high Sierras with Bigfoot. He then stated that Late in the afternoon on either Wednesday or Thursday, he had told Sam that they were going to leave the next morning to go out back down into the valley from the High Sierras. She became upset with him and told him that she did not want to leave the area. He then stated that he was um, in an area that had very flat meadow with a small stream in it and that he was having difficulty with his car. He had walked over to the stream and was washing off from all of the dirt that he had from trying to dig his car out of the rut. He looked up, and when he did, he saw Sam talking to a blonde girl who appeared to be approximately the same age as she was. Welch then stated that the missing person Sam and the blonde girl ran off through the trees. When he called to them, he started to try to follow them, but they, weren't, but they were able to lose him through the trees, and this upset him very much. He then stated that he looked for her until it became dark and that he had spent the night in the vehicle at the location. The next morning, he left a campfire burning with food at the camp, and he drove out of the camp area. He then stated that it was rather strange to him that he was unable to locate where the blonde girl had come from. He stated there were always campers and hikers in the area, and that he assumed that somehow she'd been able to evade him. He then added that he also found it strange because he didn't observe any campfires. Now... This is where Detective Stokes says, I understand you were a mountain man most of your life and that you've spent your whole life in the mountains backpacking and searching for gold and other minerals. Which uh, Skip said, yeah, that's right. 
I then told him that I thought he was a person of great knowledge of the mountains and that I found it somewhat unbelievable that two young girls could evade him when he had so much knowledge of the mountains. To this he responded, Okay, all the truth bigger than life. I asked him what he was referring to. He then stated that he wanted to tell me all of the truth and that it would be bigger than life and that he knew that I would not believe him or anyone else. He then continued by stating that he wanted me to know that there was a super intelligent being that was living in the high Sierras along with Bigfoot and that Bigfoot was actually the bodyguard for this super intelligent community of people. He continued by stating that he was aware that these people existed but that he'd only made one or two sightings prior to this occasion that he was in the mountains with Sam. He stated that where Bigfoot was hairy bodied and approximately 10 to 11 feet tall that these super-intelligent beings looked much more human and they were of superior intelligence. He then continued by stating that the missing person, Teresa Beer, had in fact run off with one of these super-intelligent beings and that she was someone who appeared to be a female with blonde hair, approximately the same age and same size as Teresa. I noted that during all of this conversation, that Welch looked at me continually straight in the eye and made no emotional or movements or indications that would seem to indicate that he believed that he was playing a joke or relaying information to me that he did not in some way to believe to be true. He seemed to be extremely serious in his approach to this explanation. He also then stated that these individuals would not hurt Sam, and he stated that he knew that he would never see her again, though. He stated that this whole community lived underground and that they seldom came out but that they had such a beautiful society. And once Sam was in the society, that she would not want to come back. I'm standing on the other side of the mirror, in that that two-way mirror right now, just being like, get this fucking guy behind (laughs) bars right now. Yeah, but I want to get to more of at least what he believes happened. Sure, 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 sure. Through further discussion, which mentioned several times about his mind being messed with somewhat by Bigfoot and the Mm -hmm. mind games that they were playing on him in regards to this incident, I asked him to explain. He then explained that he did in fact search for Sam all that first day that she was gone and was unable to find her. As he was preparing to drive through the countryside as it was getting dark, he found that his car was stuck. After trying to maneuver his car around out of the rut that it was stuck in, He looked back. He then states that he observed what appeared to be a man, but not really a man. I asked him to explain. He stated that this was a spirit of some type, of a devil, that was holding his car up off the ground. He stated that he then was able to maneuver the car and get it loose from this thing that was holding his car in place. And as he began to drive out of the mountain area, wanting to get to the North Folk, South Folk area... As he was driving along the dirt road, he stated that he was driving at an extremely high rate of speed. He then felt that there was something in his vehicle with him. Looking through his rearview mirror, he then observed what appeared to be the face of a man in the back seat of his vehicle. He became extremely upset and scared. He stated that he could feel that this was the devil in the back seat. He turned and physically began to strike at this thing that was in the back seat and states that he struck through this spirit and hit his knuckles several times on a wooden speaker. 
Welch then showed me his knuckles on his right hand, and I noted that his knuckles of the hand and also of the mid-knuckles of the fingers were all scraped with small nicks and scratches as he was trying to strike through this ghost-type individual that was in his back seat. He stated that he was able to overcome this evil spirit by finally rebuking it in the name of Jesus Christ. And after rebuking it in the name of Jesus Christ several times, the spirit left his vehicle. Crazy shit. So, can I tell you something that it just occurred to me as you're reading that, that uh, a family member told me that happened when when Skip got back to Fresno? Because mm. he was living with his mom at the time in Fresno. And a, uh, I got this second hand from, from a Welch family member who will remain nameless for his purposes. Um, when he got home, the, the car was just a mess. The tires were all... Uh, uh, the rims were all bent and it was all dirty and he pulls into the house runs and runs into his room and hides under the covers and is screaming about demons and demons mm. and the mom says to uh, one of Skip's brothers say go grab the gun and meaning get the gun out of Skip's room so he doesn't have access to it because they were afraid so he was wow whether it was you know guilt or he would really believe that demons were and it just occurred to me that that connects to that that description of him driving down from the mountains and you know it's wild because now, the thing we've got to add to this mm-hmm. is that he was a meth head and yeah, of course well and it, to me it sounds like <laughs> honestly what we're talking about and what the detective is witnessing is a man having a massive manic right. episode break schizophrenic right. of some kind breakdown uh the meth to me is an indication that he's been using drugs to self-medicate for years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this stuff, you know what I mean? This, this, that sounds the way he's talking about the eye contact and the look in his eyes. That to me screams of someone who has had undiagnosed, untreated, uh, mental health issues. And, and, uh, you know, I, that's just where I'm at in this point in the Michael, story. Michael, you make an extremely valid point and, and one that needs to be observed as part of this story. Now, this I think, Mike, I think Michael and I are on the camp that this is a pure crime story. Well, this without a, a doubt. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not saying and where I lie, but for the sake of playing devil's advocate, I just want to point to some of the no- more notes of high strangeness. Now, it's funny that I use the term devil's advocate, devil's advocate because in David Politis' book, his fourth book called Missing 411, mm-hmm. it's titled The Devils in the Details. And this book is about the missing cases that somehow all of them, I mean, the majority of them take place in this Yosemite Valley. Right. It's the largest spot of these strange vanishings. And what he notes is that there's a strange correlation between places called Devil's Peak, Devil's Pass. And he wonders... Well, did we mention where this all happens? What... Shut Eye Peak, right? Well, uh, Shut Eye Peak, but more specifically, where where she disappeared was an area that Skip always called, and, and Ghost I felt Canyon. Ghost Canyon. Yeah, and he claims it, it was, was a, oh, ancient burial sites, an ancient in, in, in burial, Indian burial, burial ground, I sacred even, burial ground. Even talking to Skip's younger right. brother, who used to uh, go mining with him all the time, all over the mountains. So I finally asked Robin. I said, "So you've been to Ghost Canyon?" Then he goes, "Oh no, I haven't been there." Mm. As if, well, that's one place I ain't going. Yeah, yeah. So we'll talk later, but I want to end this with a with with a I want to go to Ghost Canyon. 
You guys are invited. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I, I just <laughs> had a little bit more. Okay, let I Bryce just had finish a little up. bit more. He then stated that he went back up to the mountains the next day looking for Sam. He was able to make a sighting of her as she was running through the trees with the blonde girl. He stated that he called and called to her, but that she would not come to him. Welch then stated that he was sure that Sam would live in the mountains forever and that she had created a close relationship with the super intelligent beings and they would probably not want her to leave, although they would allow her to leave. He then made several statements about the fact that he did not believe anybody could find Sam. Oh, and so then he gets into... uh, the detective says, well, we're going to go up there and, and look, and we will, will you be willing to take us with you? And he's, he gets excited, and he says, yes, I will go. I will take you up there to the exact spot where this happened. But he wanted us to know that he could not be responsible for taking us into the area. He stated that there were great powers that work in this area and that he was not sure if any of us would come out of the area. He then added that he had the feeling that somehow these superpowers in Bigfoot were upset with him for something he had done. He made several statements regarding the fact that the truth of the legends of Bigfoot and the super intelligent individuals that live in the mountains with Bigfoot were going to be out soon to the public. And they, the super intelligent individuals and Bigfoot, would no longer be trusting him anyway. Goes on later to say, and Detective Stokes says, as I was escorting him to the jail, he made this spontaneous (laughs) statement. I hope we can find her. She is better off, though, where she has gone. I asked him where he thought that she was gone, and he stated that she was in a new spiritual understanding, yeah. and that he was sure that the superintelligent people that she was with would not hurt her, but that she would have a new understanding about life. And he goes on to book him. I think the thing that I really like about about uh, how this kicked off, this story kicked off, is how you say that the that the that the memory of Teresa Beers being kept alive, and I think like yeah. a lot of these cases, we tend to focus on the murder, the killer, and really it's the victims we should right. remember. And uh, kept going through my mind is just how the system just failed yeah. her from the get go. Uh, imagine if she had been She's almost from like a doomed. upstanding, yeah. prominent Fresno family. Yeah, it would have been totally different. She, you would, everybody would know who she was to this day. Yeah, because. First of all, it's crazy that that the guy literally blamed Bigfoot. Although yep. now we know it wasn't Bigfoot who took her. Right. Super intelligent beings. Super intelligent being who, yeah. who Hiding had manifested herself as a blonde mm-hmm. girl. Yeah. And that's yeah. I, I I'm glad that that's a new detail that it can at least come out in this in this podcast because from the research I've done, a lot of people get it wrong. You know, he you know yeah. he never claimed that he saw a Bigfoot abductor. You know, and yeah. when you get into the detail of of the psychosis of of of, his, of this elaborate story about these super yeah. intelligent beings that are guarded by Bigfoots and they could, you know, shape shift into like you know blonde girls and even how in the beginning he says he when he dropped her off at that school that part of that lie was in that story there right. so it's it, it's all so so strange. Yeah. I mean, even his daughter, even Skip's daughter, says, "Well, he never said Bigfoot take her. He said maybe she did." Yeah, and we well, and we heard from her. She called into a, a crazy thing about. Uh, she called into some paranormal um, 
uh, sort of show as well. She had no idea existed because she had spotted She'd seen a UFO. <laughs> yeah, this is this is crazy. Wow. She spotted a green fiery UFO in her front yard at two thirty in the morning. That that hovered down out of the sky and and sort of like just stayed there and then you know went back up into the sky. Her husband's like, you should call this paranormal guy here in Fresno. And she goes on and and the paranormal guy happens to be a Bigfoot guy and so they start talking and he's like, wait, your father is uh, Skip Welch? And she's like, yeah. And then so they go on and tell. Wow. Did you listen to the entire? The entire I did interview? twice. And yeah. uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of information to garner out of that. I've actually but, transcribed uh, it. That's how crazy you know. It's but what was crazy? She does go on to talk about the the sacred space of that yeah. ghost canyon and and that how that if like perhaps he was possessed by something. I'm not saying I'm not letting this guy off the hook in any means. I'm saying you know there's. There's a thread to this story that seems to be... Well, I think he believed it. Yeah, oh, no, without a he, doubt. He I believe belie- that you know, he believed it. I think Detective Stokes be- be- believes that he believed mm-hmm, what he was telling him. Mm-hmm. That's now, just was not this, what happened. <laughs> is this mere psychosis and schizophrenia, or is it something of a stranger nature? That Well, I we're obviously know. not doctors. We can't diagnose this guy based on this. I'm just saying it has that Yeah, it does. Well, but vibe. isn't that, yeah. isn't that a bigger... I mean, that's a big question for what you guys talk about on every every week or every... You know, all of these things, you know, there's so many people that think that all the alien well, stuff yeah. is mass psychosis. And, mm-hmm. you know, and we do mm-hmm. talk about this. And I don't know that I buy that. No, yeah. no we, we do talk about this, but it's also, it's a case, it's like, I don't think we've had a case ever where a story of high strangeness results in the death or uh, the disappearance of a of a permanent disappearance of a, of a teenage girl. No. Certainly, certainly and, never been used as an alibi in a court of law. Yeah. No, and that and that, that's why this is a to me a true crime story that crosses over into the world that we're interested in. Uh, but I think it is firmly yeah a true crime story. I agree with you, Michael. Listen, Jay, I can't I can't thank you enough for for coming on to our podcast. Yeah, and, Jay, and, and we're sharing. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's this totally story my pleasure. and bringing you know new details to light. And, yeah. and and I think I speak for all of us when you know when I when I say you know. This is definitely a left-hand turn for us. I mean, we're, we're, we're a funner podcast that likes to explore some of these interesting cases. But when it deals with, with, uh, you know, with missing people that, that have families and stuff, yeah. it takes a more serious tone. And, and uh, you know, yeah, it's just so strange because it is part of a larger story that's tied into Native American lore and yeah. mythology. Sure, yeah. And no. I'm not going <laughs> to... <gonna, yeah. laughs> I'm saying I think we found. I think we can. I think we know yeah. where his the source material for his alibi comes from. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. agreed. Mike. But uh, it's all fascinating. Jay, thank you so much. Yeah, everybody, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. All right, awesome, man. <laughs> hey guys, it's the return of, and Col- we're back, and we're back for the return of <laughs> Collector's Corner, guys. Anything you have been reading, watching, listening to this week that you want to uh, share with our listeners? Well, I have been um, I have been listening to a lot of those uh, David Politis missing four one one files, and there's a there, listening to is that yeah, like, there, is it a there, podcast? Well, you know, a, a lot of the phone interviews he's done with Coast to Coast and George Knapp, and uh, there's some great compilations of just the account case histories on YouTube and and. Uh, I've, uh, so there's some great YouTube videos that are really just him kind of going over some of the case files, and and they are, I mean, they are just 
they're staggering and they're and they're creepy and they're mysterious and uh and, and I know they're easy sometimes it's easy to chalk up to just you know hey it's the forest it swallows people you know but uh when when he starts to reveal some of the details about how these people like you know traveling with a family um and you turn around you know who you, and, and and the person in the last part of the train is just silently vanished gone and sometimes in the cases they're never to be seen again but in some cases too they end up they bring in these trackers these searchers these search and rescues and they'll go over the trail that these people were taken and um Sometimes in some of these cases, they'll find like, let's say if it's like a a four-year-old toddler, like 25 miles up on some ridge. Um, There was this case where these two hikers, like two weeks later, see this toddler up on a ridge where they can't even, you know, they had to bring in professional hikers and climbers to go and get this kid. And so it's just like... So what do do they think it? What what are they beating? Is it aliens? Is it mountain spirits? Is it yeah, all of the above? Something of the above and none of the above. But yeah, it's something something supernatural in a sense. He doesn't want to make any. Uh, he doesn't want to allude to exactly what it is. I mean, he's you know he, the guy's written two Bigfoot books, which which were very popular, and uh, I've read some of the stuff in there, and they're they're fantastic. Uh, I think one is called Tribal Bigfoot, and then the other one is called. Um, uh, oh, I forget the name of it, but it doesn't matter. But, you know, he has made the, and, and, and a few of the caseloads he's talked about where witnesses have described, you know, literal Bigfoots, you know, um, throwing these kids over their shoulders. Does, and it's it's creepy, Does man. he have like an anti-national parks agenda? This guy, <laughs> I, honestly, like, is he like, is there like a political agenda behind this? Stuff? You know, he, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that, but I mean, is this stuff that like, a, s- true, like, uh, something that he found rangers shock- read and go, fuck this guy. Well, something that he found shocking, for instance, was the fact that when he asked, uh, Yosemite officials if they have an actual database of missing persons that happen in the national park, and to, to their response, they said, no. Hmm. And that kind of stunned his whole team in silence. Like, you don't, you know, you don't keep track of these cases. How are people to backlog and, and, you know, research data like this? And, you know, so it's something that he thinks that these rangers are, are aware of that, you know, a lot of these people go missing and that there's no leads and that, uh, and that there's not, you know, there's not a lot of follow up to these cases. It's, it's a mystery, you know? Yeah. Or it isn't. I don't know. Uh, Well, Clearly, it is. we don't know what the hell's going <laughs> yeah, on. Right, uh, Riley. Anything? I don't know. I'm just thinking about the woods now, man. I I spent a lot of time in those the Sierras. Yeah, what's and, your and take on around. all that stuff, man? I mean, the mountains are definitely dangerous. Mm-hmm. Like I can think of times when I've been out backpacking with friends. Like once we encountered a bear, a, mo- a bear and her cub. Yeah, and it was like we could have like very much died. Like, yeah, it was it was close. Yeah, and we could see it, and it was right there. And it's just like okay, this is like a, a bear, you know. And another time, we were hiking. Uh, it was a backpacking trip. We were trying to find. This is just sort of a tangential story, but whatever. I'm going to tell it. Uh, we were trying to find this plane that had crashed in the forest in oh, the sixties. Yeah. yeah. Um, just to sort of see if we could do it from like local tips and stuff. And so we. You know, we backpacked in, I think, two days in, and then uh, and then we used, you know, the positioning maps and things that we'd gotten from locals to find this thing. And we actually did end up finding this plane. There was a military plane that oh had crashed God, in the forest. Crazy. It was amazing. It was really cool. But then, you know, so we're pretty far off any trails or anything, and then we're making our way back, and I stepped on a beehive. 
Ah. And my bulldog did that once and it was horrible. It was so scary. And you hear the sound just coming up and then all of a sudden this swarm of bees and we're just sprinting, you know, wow. and it's just another one of those moments where it's like, man, it would be so easy for us to disappear out here. Right. Like, like we, people, we told you did all the things you're supposed to do. We told people where we're going. We had our routes planned. We had yeah. our, you know, returns planned. But, but still it's just like, we were just out there and it's like, I don't know. I, yeah. Things, things can definitely happen very fast. I think today's lesson is, and we've already been taught this by Leah Fisher in her episode. If a man asks you to go out alone <laughs> into the forest to hunt for Bigfoot, do you not go. Yes. Do not oh, shit. go. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, I wanted to plug, uh, not for my, or recommend, um, the obviously, if you're listening to the show, you might be familiar with the last podcast on the left. These guys don't need a lot of promotion. They're a huge podcast, but man, they recently did a three part series on uh, Skinwalker Ranch, which I thought was oh, wow. so good. A deep dive on it. They covered everything. There were stories in that that I had not heard really? from uh, Corbell's film, from anything that I had read, anything we'd covered in here. I mean, they covered all that and more. Uh, so I really, oh, wow. really recommend um, if you're in to want to learn more about that story go check out last podcast on the left mm-hmm. uh, skinwalker ranch story it's great and they get more into sort of like the dubious dark side of of what might really be going on with robert bigelow and and uh who oh, he yeah. right, right might really be working for i mean it's and it's all fun and funny um my what's uh, funny about that well it's all, you know they have a good sense of humor about it. there's everything. a secret space for us yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway don't worry about it uh, so check that out that's my recommendation for the week um uh plugs crazy ex-girlfriend is heading into its final four episodes and then it's gone for good so check that out i'll be in most of the episodes that are airing between now and the series finale april 4th um, my uh, comic book adventure van is now in a collection, a graphic, a collected graphic novel issues one through five. So, uh, if you're into comics, talk to your comic book uh, dealer about getting a hold of that. And again, we will be uh, at Contact in the Desert doing our first yes. live show. Get a ticket, come see um, us live June 1st at 2 p.m. Uh, it's part of this big UFO convention out in the desert. There's so many awesome people there, and uh, we will have a special guest with us to be announced. So definitely do that. In the meantime, uh, have a great week. Keep your eyes on the skies, and we'll see you back here uh, next time. Probably that. Bye, guys. See you. Hey guys, Heather Ashley here, host of the Big Mad True Crime Podcast. If you're looking for a true crime podcast with all of the details and none of the small talk, you have found your people. Each week, we dive deep into a new case and learn everything there is to know, from getting to know the victim and the impact their cases had on those around them, to the investigation into what happened to them and who is or might be responsible. And if the bad guy looks like he might drink whiskey by a dumpster or has the social skills of an ogre, we say it because we were all thinking it anyway. 
As the name suggests, we get big mad over true crime, and I would love to have you join our incredible community of listeners with big hearts and zero time for small talk. Subscribe to Big Mad True Crime anywhere you listen to podcasts and listen to new episodes every single Monday. Hey, this is Eric Malinsky, host of the podcast Imaginary Worlds. Each episode, I explore different sci-fi fantasy genres, talking with filmmakers, novelists, game designers, cosplayers, comic book artists, and anyone who works in the field of make-believe. I also look at the fan experience, asking, why do we suspend our disbelief? You can subscribe to Imaginary Worlds wherever you get your podcasts.